My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Ephesus Church, and I'm uh, grateful to, um, to have the privilege to preach this morning. The title of my sermon is The Testimony of God. And our key words for our worshipers in training are spirit, blood, water, and son. Again, 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. And it's my aim this morning to orient your thoughts around the person of Jesus Christ. To hopefully get you to understand by the time you leave here, if you're not there already, about who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and what God has testified concerning His Son. God the Father has testified concerning God the Son. And we have received a witness from God, and this is where John is headed in this morning's passage. So let's read together, beginning in verse 6. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made Him a liar because He has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So let's get to work. John's purpose here is the same as what he wrote in the Gospel of John. Chapter 20, verse 31 These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So it's John's aim to help his readers to understand that Jesus is the Christ in order that they would believe in Him. In this truth that Jesus is the Christ, that they might have eternal life. He does this by refuting false accusations coming from false teachers, defending who Jesus was, and in this passage, introducing three witnesses, and then announcing the verdict based on the testimony of these witnesses, which is ultimately the testimony of God Himself. So I want to take you inside the courtroom this morning to consider what John is writing about Jesus, the Christ the Son of the living God. You will be the jury, and we will look together at three aspects of this case. The first will be the accusation, second will be the defense, and third we will look at the final verdict. So first, the accusation. And in order for us to understand what John is writing and why he's writing this, and this is really a somewhat difficult passage of Scripture, we must first have a grasp of what he is writing against. Sometimes the easiest way to understand something 
why something is the way that it is, is to understand uh, what and why it is not a certain way. So remember, we've made mention several times through this book that John is writing to the believers so that we will know that we have eternal life. And he is writing this in opposition to false teaching, namely that of Gnosticism. The Gnostic teachers were denying that Jesus was divine, that Jesus was the Son of God. They were teaching that Jesus was separate from the Christ. Their claim that Jesus was the natural-born son of Joseph and Mary and that Jesus became the Christ at His baptism. He was then the Christ for approximately three years until His crucifixion, at which time He ceased to be the Christ because He died. So, the death of Jesus was nothing more than the death of an ordinary man which we can quickly conclude means that there was no atonement. There was this accusation that Jesus was not the Christ until His baptism and that He ceased to be the Christ at His crucifixion. So we hear this and hopefully in hearing that, all of you are screaming out inside, that's heresy! Right? But what is the accusation today? The exact same thing. Jesus is not the Christ. If you were to look in the yellow pages, you probably wouldn't find a Gnostic religious order today. They probably wouldn't call themselves Gnostics. But friends, there are thousands of Gnostics. They just are under a myriad of other titles. The accusation that Jesus is not the Christ is alive and well today. It's just packaged and marketed in another way, with another strategy, under another name. Think about it. How many of our neighbors believe that Jesus was the incarnate Son of God? And how many believe that it's not really all that important whether He was or He wasn't? Look, most people aren't going to tell you outright that they agree with the Gnostics per se. But they will use different language. Jesus was a good man. Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a good moral example. But to say that Jesus is the Christ is to admit that Jesus is God. And to admit that Jesus is God takes away their opportunity to worship themselves. The New Age movement of today is repackaging these Gnostic teachings of John's day. It's a denial of the deity of Jesus Christ and a claim that He was merely a man. The New Age movement is dressed up Hinduism. You worship what you want to worship I'll worship what I want to worship. We'll all be happy, clappy, no problem. Much of what the Gnostics taught in John's day is the same teaching of false religion, of the false religion of the Jehovah's Witnesses today. And I hate even calling them that name because 
They do not witness or testify regarding the true Jehovah God. They do not proclaim the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate. They are liars because they deny the very thing to which God gave testimony in the New Testament, and particularly in these verses which we are looking at this morning. This false religion teaches that Jesus may be called a God, small g, but not the God. They say He was mighty, but not the Almighty. They say He was created by Jehovah. He is not a member of the Trinity because they claim there is no Trinity. They claim that Jesus in His pre-human state was really an angel by the name of Michael and that the Son did not possess immortality. He was created and created to die. And they teach that when Jesus was born of Mary, He ceased being a spirit person altogether and became nothing more than a human being. The Jesus that walked on the earth had only one nature, and that was the nature of man. He was a perfect man, equivalent to that of Adam before the fall. And remarkably, they also teach that Jesus took on the role of Messiah at the time of His baptism, at which time God made this human being His spiritual son. Sound familiar? They deny that Jesus physically, literally arose from the dead. He was not raised as a human son, but rather as an immortal spirit. And his body never came back to life. And the demon-inspired man, Judge Rutherford, who invented this satanic religion, said that the body of Jesus was disposed of, and God, who knows where it is, will bring it back and put it on exhibit in some millennial museum. So Christ then was a mortal angel then a mortal man, and finally an immortal spirit that will live on forever as a spirit being. Repackaged Gnosticism. That's all it is. They do not echo God's testimony. And they are liars. And they are representatives of the father of lies. They are the devil's witnesses. They are not Jehovah's witnesses. And so you see right here that what John is writing is very pertinent to us today. The same accusations that he was dealing with are alive and well today. They're at your front door every few months on a Saturday morning. They are in your workplace. They are in your neighborhood. They are gathered in synagogues of Satan in our own community. Heresy is everywhere. And it all carries with it the same claim, namely that Jesus was not the Christ. Friends, if Jesus did not take our nature at birth or take on our sins at death, He cannot reconcile us to God. How hopeless! How tragic! How meaningless this life is without Christ. How meaningless this life is without Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet, this is the accusation of Gnosticism. And this is the accusation of millions upon millions today. 
So the question we need to ask at this point is this. Why should we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Why should we believe that He is God? The second member of the Trinity. Why should we believe that He is eternal? Eternally perfect, uncreated. His contemporaries called Him a liar. They called Him a deceiver. They implied that He was a drunkard. They identified Him as a fake, an insurrectionist, a rebel, a lawbreaker, a fanatic, a madman, and a demonic. That's what they said about Him then, and that's what they say about Him now. At best, they say He's a good moral teacher. So why should we believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament? Answer. Because of the infallible, incontrovertible, unassailable testimony of God Himself. We have the testimony of God. Verse 9 in our passage tells us this, which John is outlining, is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. This is the foundation of John's defense. So we have the accusation, so now let's look at the defense. Let's look at verses 6 through 9 again. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. So in defending this truth that Jesus is the Christ, John presents for us three witnesses. In verse 7, he identifies that there are three that testify. Or in other words, there are three witnesses. And in the tradition of the Jews, it took two or three witnesses to confirm something as true. This goes all the way back to Mosaic Law. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. And we also see that in Matthew 18 when Jesus outlines the proper procedures for church discipline. Now, anything brought against someone needed to have the affirmation of two or three witnesses before it goes before the church. And likewise, in 1 Timothy 5.19, we are instructed that no one should bring an accusation against an elder in the church unless it's confirmed by the mouth of two or three witnesses. And also in, in 2 Corinthians 13.1, Paul said to the Corinthians, When I come to you, I'm going to address your sin, and I'm going to do it with the confirmation of two or three witnesses. So we see the precedent here. And John is following this in his defense argument against these accusations of the false teachers. He brings in three reliable witnesses in adherence to this Jewish practice, this law. And these three witnesses give testimony to the nature of Jesus. 
So I present to you the jury, these three witnesses, as outlined here in verses 6 through 9. The first is water. Verse 6. This is he who came by water. What is John referring to when he says that Jesus came by water? He is, of course, referring to the baptism of Jesus. Look at the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So here we see the baptism of Jesus. His commissioning by the Father and His being empowered by the Spirit. You see, when the heretics looked at the baptism of Jesus, they had no problem adapting this to their teaching. The Spirit came and then Jesus became the Christ. That's what they were teaching. This is the very reason why Jesus writes that Jesus came by water. He didn't become Christ. He was Christ. He came as Jesus Christ. This is why in chapter 3, verse 8, John didn't say that Jesus' life began, but rather that He appeared. The Son of God who always was appeared. His life did not begin at His birth. He came here on this earth and He appeared as a baby. But prior to that, He had been existing eternally in glory with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. So this was the Father's witness. It begins in John's defense argument with the water. We just read in Mark. This is the one who appeared and came by water. The water is the first witness. The water reminds us of the voice of the Father coming from heaven, declaring the Son to be His Son. And the descending of the Holy Spirit as a dove to empower Jesus Christ in His life and ministry as the Son of God. The Father is perfectly pleased with His Son. The Son is perfectly empowered to fulfill all that the Father has commanded. And we see here in the baptism the testimony of God, namely that this is my Son whom, with whom I am well pleased. God testifies through the waters of baptism as to the true nature of Jesus as the Christ. That is our first witness, the water. The second witness, of course, is blood. So here, John is bringing in the witness of the blood to testify about the death of Jesus Christ. Remember, the heretics were teaching that Jesus died only as a man. That the Spirit of God had left Him and that He was only human at His death. 
So John is now combating the heresy that says, this is He who came by blood. Jesus Christ. This is His response to that heresy. This is He who came by blood and His name is Jesus Christ. John knew the Gnostics would happily stop with talking about baptism. So he pressed on to proclaim the truth that Jesus the Christ appeared in the world, was baptized, commissioned, empowered, and then He was killed. He died. Friends, this truth is not some obscure theological debate. If Jesus did not die, we are helpless. If Jesus did not die, we are still under the eternal wrath of God. First of all, this is undeniable as we read time and time again throughout the Scriptures that Christ died for us. But more puzzling to me is why someone would want to deny the death of Christ. Without it, we are devastatingly hopeless and without joy and without peace and without eternal life because we are without God. And yet so many deny the witness of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. The testimony of the blood is evident as we look at what happened on the cross. Turn with me now to the book of Matthew, chapter 27. Matthew 27, chapter 27, verse 45, beginning in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion who took, when when the centurion saw, excuse me, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, This was the Son of God. God is testifying through all that happens at the cross. And indeed, Jesus is the Christ. At the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land. Do you know what the sixth hour is? That's at noon. So from the sixth hour when Jesus was hung on the cross... At noon, 
until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. Supernatural darkness. A divine miracle. The intervening of God. And Jesus knew it. He understood the symbolism of the darkness being, indicate, being an indication of the forsake, uh, Him being forsaken by God. That's why He cried out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? God was giving testimony to His Son as a sin-bearing sacrifice by turning out the lights altogether and creating darkness at high noon. Notice too, verse 51, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Is this a work of man? Surely not. As the Son submits His dying body, the Father throws open the Holy of Holies because Jesus has provided access to His presence and has abolished the priesthood and the separation. This is a divine miracle. And look at the second part of verse 51. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. God literally shook the planet. And the rocks were split, the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. This is an absolutely stunning assortment of miracles all going on at the same time. Darkness over all the earth, the ripping of the curtain, the planet shaking, the rocks splitting, the tombs bursting open, dead saints rising up out of the tombs, and after the resurrection, entering into the holy city to appear to many. Absolutely amazing. And what's... The response, verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch of Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. There was no other conclusion. This was the Son of God. This was the Father's testimony at the cross. This was affirmation of Jesus being the Christ and it was shown through the witness of His blood, His death. So then, back in 1 John. This is He who came by water and by blood. Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. So we see our first two witnesses, namely the water... Jesus' baptism and the blood. Jesus' death. And the third witness now on the stand to testify is the Spirit. The Spirit of God. Jesus said of the Spirit in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 26, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. And in John 16:13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And so we see that the very work of the Holy Spirit of God is to bear witness to the Son. 
Second part of verse 6 in our text. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. See, the Spirit doesn't just tell the truth. The Spirit is the truth. So while mankind asks, what is truth? John replies through the testimony of God, God is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. So how do we understand the testimony of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus, the Son? A few quick things to point out here. Luke chapter 1, verse 35 says, The angel answered her, Mary, and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It was the Holy Spirit who put life into the womb of Mary. That life being the very Son of God. Additionally, we see when when the Lord Jesus began His ministry, it was the Holy Spirit who led Him. Mark chapter 1, verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. So we know that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that everything He did was done with the Holy Spirit, working through Him and testifying to Him. Acts 10, 38. You know how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus Himself said, when you say what I do is from the devil, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is doing this work. It is the Holy Spirit who's working it out. You see, Jesus' ministry was accomplished through the immeasurable power of the Holy Spirit. That is why Jesus says, if you deny Me, you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. All over the Bible, the Spirit speaks. The Spirit is the revealer. And important to notice, He speaks concerning the Son on behalf of the Father. John fourteen seventeen says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him, for He dwells with you and, and will be in you. So we see that God sends us the Spirit of truth. We've looked at this several times through the book of 1 John. Just consider for a moment how amazing this is. The very same Holy Spirit that empowered the ministry of Jesus Christ is dwelling within every true believer of Christ and guiding us in all truth showing us the things concerning Jesus and revealing Jesus to us and through us. That's an amazing thought. That's the function of the Holy Spirit. That's the witness of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Spirit is the revealer. And I wish we weren't so scared to talk about the Holy Spirit We very rarely talk about the Holy Spirit, right? We're scared to overdo it. The Holy Spirit is the very member of the Trinity that empowers us 
that reveals the truth to us, that we can reveal the truth of Christ. And so everywhere you look in Scripture, you will find testimony to Christ. And this is the witness of the Holy Spirit testifying to you through the writers of the Scriptures. And so here now we see the truth of God coming together in three witnesses. Look at verse 7. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Remember, nothing is tried without three witnesses. So John brings forth three witnesses. They all witness to the very same truth. All proclaiming the very same thing. And in light of this, John is saying, if this was the collective evidence of three men, we would believe this testimony. And yet, this is the testimony of Almighty God. How can we not believe His testimony? You see, friends, the issue is not that God didn't provide testimony. He had plenty of testimony. The issue is the hardness of heart. The issue is that natural man wants to make his own God. Natural man wants to harden his heart and wants his own God. So even in light of all these witnesses and all the evidence, he may say, Jesus is not the Christ. Why? Because I don't want Him to be the Christ. Or else He then has a claim on my life and I must bow my knee to Him. I personally have a very real illustration of this just last week. In an email, I was sharing the Gospel with someone who I've known for quite some time. This person is all wrapped up and excited about New Age practices, which, as we've already discussed, are just a repackaging of Gnosticism. Well, this person is most interested in so-called traditional Indian medicine, which is essentially Eastern religious spiritual-based practices that include things such as Reiki and Transcendental Meditation. So I was pointing out the false hope that these things offer and how true wholeness of life comes only through faith in Jesus Christ, the one true Savior and Lord of all the universe. And here was the response. And I share this with you because this is a common response from those who hate God, who deny that Jesus is the Christ, and who refuse to submit to Him as Lord. Dear Nick, I know that you truly believe that the most loving thing you can do is, in your words, point me to Jesus. And that is your choice. However, I kindly ask that you do not continue to do so. My spirituality is my personal choice, and part of my practice is keeping an open mind and trying not to judge people that are different than me. Whether I agree with their opinion or not, as religion is a choice in opinion after all, I am not spiritually dead at all. My spirituality just happens to be different than yours. We all think our opinions are fact, when in truth they are merely viewpoints based in faith. What a boring world we would live in if we all felt the same way about things like religion. 
Spirituality should inspire tolerance in one another, not distaste for those who do not believe the same things you do. Nor should it inspire you to try to make them join your team as it is up to the individual to make choices in their own spirituality and what works for them. Believe me, I am plenty informed in Christianity. It is not my ignorance in this, in this matter that deters me from that particular practice. In my opinion, spirituality is a personal and private choice. And I hope you can honor this as I honor your spirituality and will never judge you for your choices in it. The most loving thing you can do is pray for me how you choose and respect and honor my life choices as I have yours. I send much love your way and hope you can at least show consideration for, as I know you won't agree with, where I am coming from. Friends, this is a very common response when you present the truth of the living Christ to natural man. In essence, they are saying, I hate God! How dare you try to convince me otherwise? I am my own God, and I make my own decisions, and no one, no God is going to say how I live. How dare you? I will determine what is right and wrong. I will determine what is true for me. I will determine what I choose to believe and what I don't. I will decide what is worth submitting to and what is not. I am my own God. How dare you tell me otherwise? This should break your heart. These are our neighbors. These are our family members. These are our co-workers. Friends, this is some of you. We have the clear testimony of God Almighty and yet it is denied by individuals so that they can worship themselves. That's a tragedy. Lastly, what is the verdict? The verdict is that this is a matter of life and death. But not for the defendant. No, rather, it is a matter of life and death for us, the jury. Remember, I said who the jury is? You are. I am. Look at verses 10 through 12. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's clear. The death penalty hangs in the balance. Not for the defendant, but for the jury. Do you want to deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? then you have no life. To know Jesus is to know life. Not to know Jesus is to have no life at all. Friends, eternal life is a gift. It's not a prize. It's a gift found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what verse 11 says. God gave us eternal life. 
It is a present possession. If you are in Christ now, you have eternal life. So how do you know if you're a Christian this morning? Have you received the grace of God and by faith have you believed in Him as Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God? As I proclaim these truths to you this morning, is the Spirit within you saying, that's right, that's it. That's what the Spirit of God does. He says to us, that's right, that's the truth right there. That's what you are to believe. How do you know if you're not a believer? Your heart is saying, God is a liar. God thinks Jesus was God, but I know He wasn't. Is that how you think? Is that what you're thinking? Friends, I want to tell you, if that's how you're thinking, you are blinded by the God of this world. And you are believing something that is absolutely ridiculous. It's clouded up with nonsense. And ultimately, your desire to be your own God and to deny that which has an abundance of evidence proclaiming with absolute certainty that it is true. You cannot rightly deny the testimony of God. But know this. If you don't submit to Him now, you most certainly will eventually. For when Jesus returns and the final judgment is at hand... Every knee will bow and every tongue confess, whether it is on, under, or above the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. These amazing teachings were directly against the teachings and the culture in which John lived, and they are directly against the teachings of the culture that we live in today. What does it mean to have this testimony in your heart? What does it mean for you to believe the testimony of God? We don't have the testimony of God so that we can all hug each other and pat each other on the back because we know that we have the truth and we share that in common with one another. We know the truth. Praise God. Love you, brother. If that's all we do, friends, that's a surefire way to show that you hate your neighbors. No, we have this testimony of God because by His grace He has decided to call us out of darkness into light. And that should compel us to proclaim it to those who do not have the testimony of God, even if it costs our lives. There are 2.2 billion people, 80% of the world's population, who have never heard about Christ. We've got a lot of work to do. We must present the testimony of God and proclaim with absolute certainty that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If I asked you today, are you married? The answer is yes or no. If you say, I don't know, there's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) But likewise, friends, if I ask you today, do you have the Son of God? Do you have Jesus the Christ? The answer is yes or no. If you say, I don't know, there's a problem. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You that You testify to the truth that Jesus is the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. We thank you, Father, that you have called us out of darkness into light, that we may see you so clearly, that we may see you and know with absolute certainty whether or not we believe and trust that Jesus is the Christ because we have your testimony, because you have transformed us, because the Spirit of God lives within us and proclaims to us and through us that Jesus is the Christ. Father, help us not be deceived. Help us to not be deceived by the false teachings of this world. Help us to not be deceived by those who would repackage old heresies and seek to proclaim them as truth. Help us to not be a people who are blown to and fro. Those who would say, what's true for you is good. What's true for me is good. Father, help us to know that what is true for all is what You have proclaimed. What Your Word proclaims is truth. And Father, I pray right now for anyone who hears my voice, who does not know Christ, that You would pause by their grave and You would do for them as Christ did for Lazarus and call them to come forth and give them life that they may live more abundantly in Jesus Christ. That's my prayer, Father. We want to see that work multiplied throughout the nations. Let that be what we are about as your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.